Hello everybody and welcome back to reading and evaluating the DeMond brothers going through their book quote the Bible proves the teachings of the Catholic Church by quote-unquote brother Peter DeMond over the past seven installments we have demonstrated that their extreme position which is nothing more than a reaction to their own denomination, abandoning many of its traditions and its traditional doctrines, has led them to be bad people. I really cannot put it in any other way. They are constructing a vision of Christianity that does not have Christ in it. They see Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as nothing more than a down payment on forgiveness because you are supposed to be your savior. Well, you and Mary and St. Peter and the popes, the good popes, not the bad popes that we absolutely hate. We hate the bad popes. But it's everybody but Jesus. Maybe he opened the door, but it's really not a case where you could say Jesus is your savior or something like that. We looked at how they have constantly snuck in traditions and councils and statements by the popes in a book that's supposed to be about what the Bible teaches. They have overstretched typology, which here's the red pill on typology, guys. You can make typology say whatever you want. So long as I have a New Testament thing and an Old Testament thing, I can say that it's the same thing and then develop some sort of doctrine out of it. It doesn't mean that the Bible is advocating for it. This is why I have told people over and over and over again, you should only employ typology when either it is crystal clear or B, when the Bible tells you there is a type. Like when St. Paul gives us the types of Sarah and Hagar in the book of Galatians. What the DeMond brothers do is they wield the typology like a trowel, building up a little edifice to claim that, ah, yes, this is the Bible being the most Roman Catholic thing ever. And their logic never pans out. Their hermeneutics are garbage. Their exegesis is almost always eisegesis, and they make leaps that nobody with two brain cells to rub together would countenance, like when they said, ah, yes, Peter is clearly the leader of the first century church. He's the leader of the apostles. And I have no problem agreeing with that. Sure, whatever, Peter led them. And now this means, by the way, that you have to do everything that the popes say. You have to follow the vicar of Christ, who is the prime minister of the kingdom of God here on earth. No. No, that's a big fat leap. Here's a guy that led the early church does not equal, now you have to listen to the first 600 or 1,200 or, I guess, 1,965 years of guys that led the church. No, that does not follow. But when you are part of an angry, tiny group that has noticed your denomination becoming worldly and following after whatever the Pied Piper the devil wants them to believe there will be a temptation to do what the devil wants you to do. See, the DeMond brothers probably have a good point when it comes to the state of the papacy today and the Vatican II Novus Ordo Church, as they like to refer to it. 
Yes, the Roman Catholic Church has gotten squirrely and goofy, and it has changed doctrines. You cannot tell me that one day executing a criminal was not a sin, and then the next day it was a sin, because Pope Francis had that changed in the Roman Catholic Catechism to say, oh, well, time has changed, morality has changed, and all that stuff about the unending, unchanging will of God regarding people deserving death for certain sins, well, that's just different now. You can't tell me that's not changing doctrine. You can't tell me that the church that at one point had unum sanctum, a document declaring the Pope to basically be the king of the world, didn't change when it started saying, actually, you know, we do advocate for religious freedom, and Protestants are our erring brothers. So yes, they have a point. But the devil wants you, if you are one of these people who has noticed that your denomination has gone completely off the rails, and you want to fight against it, the devil is more than happy to tell you you are correct to fight against it. And then he will proceed to try to get you to be a close-minded, non-Christian cultist. Everything becomes about winning. Everything becomes about, look at me, pay attention to me, listen to me tell you how bad things are. Look at our group. We are rebelling against the bad. And then you listen to them, and then it's, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, here's why this is bad, and by the way, you should join us, and listen, forget about that whole gospel thing. Let's focus on what's bad, and how mad we are, and how angry we are, to the point where you hate the world more than you love Christ. The reason we're doing this series is not because it's just anti-Catholic polemics, although somebody eventually had to answer the rad-trads, and there's no more rad-trad, rad-trad than the Demond brothers. It's also something you see in every single denomination. You have fundamentalist Baptists, you have angry confessional Lutherans, you have Presbyterians, some of whom go full theonomist, etc., all over the place noticing that their denominations are following after the liberals. We all see this, and we have to do it right. We have to respond to it correctly, or we are going to just do what the devil wants and set up yet another cult. You know what one of the biggest signs of that is? Is when these groups start tossing out anathemas everywhere. They start celebrating people being damned. They love the thought of their enemies going to hell. They celebrate it. It makes them happy. And the God who does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked looks at that and goes, Oh, oh, now you're the true Christians, I see, and this is how you behave. Okay, well, we'll just see how much I bless you. If we are going to correct the abuses out there, if we are going to give an alternative, as the VLP does, by the way, we do that with the Catacomb Synod, we cannot become a cult. We cannot become nothing but angry people. Jesus tells us that the world will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. You can tell someone's a rad trad of whatever denominational stripe by how much of a hate boner they have for everybody that is not them. 
This has to be addressed. This cautionary tale is our prime example, especially, as we will read today, that it seems the DeMond brothers have forgotten how to read the Bible. We're going through their uh, supposed super awesome takedown of sola fide because, you know, anger at Protestants or whatever. And here they do raise the objection. They know that somebody like me is going to come along, read their book and go, what are you talking about? This is dumb. So they want to end before that with maybe something I would say. For instance, in their objections section, what about the passages which say that whoever believes in Jesus will be saved? Answer, to Jesus, to believe in him unto salvation necessarily means to follow and keep his words and commandments unto the end. This is proven by the immediate or extended context of every case where Jesus says that those who believe in him will be saved, in addition to all the other passages which have been covered. So check it. They believe that the word believe is equivalent to the word obey. It's not if you believe in Jesus, you will have fruit flowing from that belief in Christ, that good works will come from your salvific belief in Jesus. No, 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 no. To believe is to obey. Before we hear their answers to our objections, we look at this title and see that they're saying, you don't understand, Prot. One word that has a very particular definition is exactly the same as another word that has a totally different definition. It's the same exact thing to God. Words don't mean anything when it comes to me winning. First example, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One might see this verse on posters, at sports stadiums, at overpasses on highways in many other places. What they don't tell you, or fail to perceive, is what is stated in the verses which immediately follow John 3.16. John 3, verses 17 through 20, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. It's fascinating that in the very context which immediately follows John 3.16, we see prominent references to condemnation for evil deeds, as well as to people who do evil and to deeds being judged. It makes it clear that a faith in the only begotten Son of God, which will grant salvation, is a faith which must be accompanied by persevering in good deeds and good works. To Jesus... To believe in him unto salvation is to follow and keep his words and his commandments. As all the other passages we have covered demonstrate, the context demonstrates that John 3.16 does not teach justification by faith alone or eternal security. Is that what the passage is saying? No. Why? Because Jesus says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. I'm using their translation, 
He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. And then our Lord Christ explains why that is the case. This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Our Lord Christ is explaining that these people love their evil more than they are afraid of damnation. They love their wickedness more than they love the offer of salvation. They don't care about going to heaven or going to hell. They love their wicked deeds. In the middle of them saying, I am forgetting the context, they ignore context. Even worse, they are being deceitful. I didn't tell you this, but here is the full text of John 3 verses 17 through 20, which says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Not only do the DeMond brothers miss the context in the middle of telling you that you're missing the context, they deceptively edit what the scriptures are saying to keep you from seeing that fact. They put an ellipses instead of when Christ is saying, Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. They deceptively edited out context while lecturing you about context concerning John 3 verse 16. And why? Because they want to win. Because that's all that matters to them is to get you to stop believing in Jesus for your salvation and start believing in all this other crap that they love so much. If you take the same mindset as the DeMond brothers, you will be like them. You will lose the ability to read the Bible clearly. You will only use the Bible to deceive people. Second example from Romans 10, verses 8 through 10. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Pretty clear case, isn't it, that we are saved through belief in Christ. What do they say? Once again, however, the context shows us that the Protestant understanding of this passage is false. What many don't realize is that the passage above is quoting from Deuteronomy 30 verse 14 and following. The footnotes in your Bible will show reference to Deuteronomy 30 verse 14. Well, Deuteronomy 30, verse 14 and following speak of the necessity of doing the works of God and of keeping the commandments. Here's Deuteronomy 30, verses 14 through 16. The word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it, 
See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. This reference to Deuteronomy 30 verse 14 in Romans 10, 8 through 10 shows that to Paul and his listeners, it was understood that to believe unto salvation is to follow and keep and do the works that are necessary for salvation. Only in that way will a believer live and have salvation. The Protestant view of justification is simply a total misunderstanding of Scripture, as the full context of this passage shows again. A total misunderstanding of Scripture, they say. These men who want you to think, St. Paul quoting Deuteronomy 30, and then saying something different from the succeeding verses of Deuteronomy 30, is somehow saying the same thing as Deuteronomy 30. Here's St. Paul saying, so God is near you. He's near unto your heart and in your mouth. Absolutely. The word of faith which we preach, the word. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. They say, oh, that's the same exact thing as Moses saying, do this, do this, do this, and live. When they say that, they are ignoring. What Moses writes is the old covenant. What St. Paul is writing is about the new covenant. They've forgotten the entirety of the book of Hebrews. They've forgotten everything in the Bible that says you can't please God without faith. None of your works matter to him unless first you have the faith which saves. Moses writes, the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. St. Paul writes, the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Then Moses writes, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, uh, walk in his ways, keep his commandments and his statutes, that thou mayest live. St. Paul writes, If you confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. These two don't jive together. Therefore, something changed between what Moses wrote and what St. Paul wrote. Because these guys, the DeMond brothers, are not addressing what St. Paul says when he says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're saved. Again, something changed. The Bible explains that by telling us there was an old covenant, and now we are in the new covenant. The DeMond brothers, in telling me that I don't understand the scripture, have just demonstrated their inability to interpret the scriptures, thus leading to this psychotic belief that faith equals obedience, rather than obedience being the result of faith. Third example, John 5, 24. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. But just a few verses later, starting in John 5, 28, Jesus says this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John 5, verses 28 and 29. 
Again, we see that people will be condemned on the basis of what they have done, not just on the basis of whether they have believed. Invariably to Jesus, to believe unto salvation is to follow and keep his words and do the works which are necessary for salvation. <sighs> Let's reply. John chapter 6, verse 28. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The Demond brothers might say, What about those being condemned for their evil deeds? What about those being accommodated for their good deeds? Here's from the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, regarding uh, conscience and eating, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. When our Lord Jesus says, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, he is talking about those who believe in Jesus. The things that they do, flowing from faith in Christ, is doing good. But according to St. Paul, those that have done evil do evil because the things that they do, even if they're very nice things like feeding the homeless or helping the poor or sharing a meal, guess what? That is still sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And Hebrews 11 verse 6 shows that the flip side of what St. Paul says is true. So, Romans 14, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, and Hebrews 11, verse 6, that it is impossible to please God unless you have faith. So, the things that do proceed from faith, that's good works before God. Hmm, kind of tells you that the determining factor is not your deeds, rather your faith. Chances are, if you take the same mindset, whatever denomination you belong to, if you take the same mindset as the DeMond brothers, you're going to start monkeying around with weird definitions. Check out how they butcher Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 in their attempt to respond to it. St. Paul writes, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Their response? This argument also fails. As I will now show, this argument fails because this verse is specifically talking about the initial grace of receiving water baptism. Water baptism is not a work of yourselves, but a sacrament instituted by God. No work you can do can substitute for the power of water baptism. This is said to save because it removes man's original sin and puts him into the initial state of justification. The proof that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is actually referring to water baptism is found when one compares the passage to Titus 3, 5 and then to 1 Peter 3, 20 to 21. So, of course, we just read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and then they refer to Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Notice that the two passages are extremely similar. They are talking about the same thing. They both mention being saved and not of works which we have done. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 describes this as being saved through faith. 
Titus 3 verse 5 describes it as being saved through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. They are referring to the same thing. Titus 3.5 is without any doubt referring to water baptism, as even John Calvin and Martin Luther admitted. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is also talking about water baptism. It's just that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 calls it faith, because accepting baptism is submitting to faith. It's how one joins the faith, as Jesus made clear in Mark 16.15 and Matthew 28.19. So check it. If they don't like what a verse says, they monkey around with definitions. If St. Paul, who wasn't afraid to use the word baptism, if St. Paul meant baptism instead of faith, he would have written baptism. But he didn't. The DeMond brothers don't want to deal with that, so they find some other verses talking about a different topic, and they say, ah, that's the ticket. Faith equals obedience, and faith equals baptism. Faith means anything but faith. And by the way, before you put faith in your baptism, given everything else the DeMond brothers say, it's worthless. Oh, they'll say, baptism is not a work of righteousness that we have done. It's the sacrament which Jesus instituted, which pours out his saving blood and the cleansing of the Holy Ghost. And then they don't give a single damn whether you're baptized or not. Because guess what? All baptism is to these Feniites, it's just an entrance fee that is paid to get you into the Roman Catholic Church that really saves you. It's the golden ticket that Billy gets from Willy Wonka so he can be part of the candy sweatshop. Ah, welcome aboard. You have your baptismal ticket. Now get to work or we're sending you to hell, kid. And don't even get me started on their response to Romans 3 verse 28. A man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. NIV. A person is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And they say, oh, this can't be justification by faith alone because the works of the law is really just like circumcision and sacrifices and doing Mosaic Covenant stuff. And then they totally forget that St. Paul explains what he means by the law. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. St. Paul does not relegate the law to mere ceremonial observance of things like the Passover or the Feast of Boots or circumcision, as the DeMond brothers are asserting. St. Paul puts the whole of the law, including the moral law, and you are justified by faith, apart even from the works of the moral law. When all that matters to you is winning, that doesn't matter. You will monkey around with everything, every single definition. You will cut out context in the middle of telling people to pay attention to context to further deceive them and get them in the same boat as you. A boat that is sinking. Because let's face it, guys, these guys are probably cut off from Christ. They're presenting a totally different gospel. If there is any gospel whatsoever in the things that they are saying, St. Paul says, 
very, very clearly that if somebody presents you a different gospel, he is anathema. Let them be accursed. And you will live to see the day when Lutherans, in being mad at other Lutherans, will deny justification by faith alone and will cook up a different gospel in order to pwn the other Lutherans that they don't like. You will see this in Presbyterianism. You will see this in the Baptists. You will see this everywhere because these people have a really hard time learning. If they don't burn out and abandon the faith entirely because it is very blackpilling to be in their shoes, they're going to start coming up with weird, goofy, freaky-deaky beliefs. And this has to stop so that we are not cursed like these DeMond brothers likely are. I hope for their sake that somehow, despite their words, they have saving faith in our Lord Christ. For their sakes. Next week, though, we will uh, see how they make some more leaps regarding confession to priests. But we'll see you all then. Amen and amen. <laughs>